0: I would invite you to turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, begin reading in verse 18, our passage will be 21 to 25, but for context, I'll begin reading in verse 18, Genesis chapter 2, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. and he slept. Then he took one of, the, of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib from which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she is taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. So much for your word, oh Lord. In a day of relativism, in a day of uncertainty, in a a day where the, the waves just keep crashing into us, may we stand, may we stand on the word of God. We thank you for this precious word that we have to stand on. Lord, may we just expound this passage. May we understand this passage a little bit better today as a result of being here. And then, Lord, may we apply these things to our life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We begin looking at uh, the details of day six on creation. Moses, he is giving us, in chapter one, he gave us kind of an overview. In chapter two, he's narrowing it down to one particular day of creation. Day six. And so all of these Things take place in day six. Uh, Moses, of course, was the human author. But God is the, the one. This is God's account. Now, in no, Moses' day, there was a, a lot of other accounts, of course, you would, you would imagine. Um, uh, that you would just expect this. Adam lived six, uh, 900 years. And, uh, of course, he would have testified to other people. People would want to know and give give an account. Hey, how did this thing uh, happen? How did all these things take place? And of course, Adam would have given the details. Now, he is off the scene probably close to a thousand years at this point when Moses is writing. And so by Moses's day, the the details probably fall away. Information has been lost. And and by Moses's day, there's Probably more like fairy tales of what happened in creation than real life, and so Moses he cuts through with the truth here 's what happened on that at that time, and of course, Moses was considered a friend of God. Moses was the one who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, and God communicated to Moses directly and let me just point out one verse, Exodus chapter seventeen. In verse 14, just so you, you can see these things in your mind, it's good to see these things. Verse 17, When then the Lord said to Moses, write this in a book as a memorial. Right at the beginning of Moses' ministry, the, the time that Moses was being used by the Lord, he says, write these things in a book. And by the end, you see that Moses completed the book and he handed this book over to um, over to the young leader, Joshua. Uh, let me show you uh, one other verse. Deuteronomy, if you turn at the end of Moses' life, Deuteronomy chapter 20, or 32 and verse 46, th- this is Moses' words to the people as he is basically reiterating what he has said in this written word. He says in verse 46, he says, he said to them, take Take to your heart all of the words which I am warning you today. And that's basically the words that he had written down. Take to heart. Understand the significance. In verse 47 he says this, For it is not an idle word for you, indeed it is your life. That's pretty sobering. Moses is saying, Take heed. Now, understand what's going on here. This is your life. It's hard for us to understand. This. this is just a book. It's easy for us to buy into the world's narrative of just being a fairy tale. But God cuts through this. This is God's account of what happened. What happened in creation. We need to keep that in mind, because God's the way God sees things. The way uh, they. The way God sees things is the way things really happen. It's reality. And we need, to, we need to understand that. Everything else is a lie. Everything else is a myth. Everything else is a fairy tale. What God says is true because everything is open to Him. Right? He, he knows the motives of the heart. He knows everything. And He lays it out the way things are. So we come to this passage. This passage to us is not just a story. This passage for us, it formulates our worldview. It formulates the way we see things. It's, it's the way we see reality. We need to grasp that. It. It's our very life. That's what Moses is saying. Now, Christ did this. In fact, he, he kind of assumed that everybody else would do this too. In, let me give you an example. Matthew chapter 19 Matthew chapter 19 and verse um, 3, these men were trying to trick Christ. Uh, some of the Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him, saying, it is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And, and listen to Jesus' response. This is so good. Then he answered and said, Have you not read? Have you not read? that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. He goes all the way back to Genesis, the very first, the second chapter in the book of Genesis, what Moses wrote, and he says, what are you basing your life on? Have you not read this? This is obviously clear. This is obviously the truth. This is what we build our life on. Why have you not read? Have you not read and the assumption is, is that you read and you build a life on it. You build, your, you, you build your house on the solid rock. That's the understanding. And he made them male and female. That's significant. And he goes on to say, uh, for this reason, he quotes the verse that we're going to deal with today. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. And two shall be one, become one flesh. So, and he, he begins to apply it. So then, and he's building... Uh, building a, a reality then based upon what was said from God's perspective so that, so they are not no longer two but one flesh. So he's pulling together this idea of, of marriage and establishing from the beginning what God sees, the way God sees marriage. That's what we do, folks. So, so we come to these stories and, and they're not just stories at all. You know, Paul did the same thing. Peter did the same thing. What we see today is we see a society that's just trying to make up reality. They're trying to, to pull it out of, of thin air. And they're trying to, to pull us in to pretend with them to this pretend reality. Um, two completely different worldviews that, that come out of this one that has rejected God and one that accepts God and His Word and they and they don't seem to be able to coexist. It seems like the tension is is increasing. It seems like on a daily basis this cultural war that we are in. We mentioned uh, the story last week of of uh, critic or this uh, conversion therapy in uh, in Canada, and there seems to be an increasing. Uh, desire or push to criminalize our standards, criminalize Christianity, kind of push us to the, to the fringes. I, I just found out this week, I was just reading an article. When I was a, when I was a youth pastor back in 1990, uh, I had to take a lot of classes on counseling and I would drive from the southern part of Indiana, I was, where I was a youth pastor, and I would drive up to, Lafayette, Indiana. Did it every Monday morning. Had to be up there by eight o'clock in the morning. It's a four-hour trip, so I had to leave early. Didn't get back till really late at night. Eight hours of classes, and then it was counseling classes. How to counsel? NeuThetic counseling, and, and it, I did it for eleven weeks. It was very intensive. And in the evening, there we observed how these counselors would do it. Right. And so we wouldn't get. We would go through counseling sessions, and sometimes they would last a long time, and you wouldn't get out till nine o'clock. Sometimes ten o'clock, and I'd be home at twelve, one o'clock at night. That church, Faith Baptist Church in Lafayette, Indiana, and this their counseling center there. uh, In that town of Lafayette, Indiana, that town council has proposed uh, proposal. 3121, and they're proposing that they legal or uh, make legal or um, illegal, I'm sorry, make illegal this conversion therapy. So if they have a a young man that comes in and the parents are concerned about this young man and and this young man wants to do counseling about uh, same-sex attraction, if these counselors uh, uh, counsel him against that, then they would be in violation. That's the kind of thinking that's going on. And it's coming to America. It's in Canada. It's already in Great Britain. And it's coming to America. That kind of thinking. And it's in opposition to the Word of God. It's not just coexisting. There's opposition to the Word of God. So we come to this passage for clarity. We come to this passage for direction in our life. We come to this passage to to know what it says to Come to this passage to teach what to teach it to our children. We come to this passage to develop convictions to stay in. Because the world is going to come against us. The world is going to come against us. So what's at stake here? It's society for one thing. The, the, the further society moves away from biblical understanding of gender, the further society moves away from God's design of Marriage and family, the more unhealthy that society becomes, the less logical that society becomes, the the, the more uh, the society further uh, moves into darkness, into paganism. But what's more important is how less that society glorifies God and reflects God's glory. And nobody seems to be asking the question. No one seems to be concerned about offending God. And that's the main concern. That's what's at stake here. Is that we are living a life and we're developing a a society that's offensive to God. Offensive to God. And man will never be able to create. And that's that's the point. Man will never be able to create a society that's better than what God has designed in His Word. So th- these texts for us is, is not just fun, insignificant stories that we teach our children. This is conviction. So when we come to this, we, we, we have to get out of our mind the little coloring charts of uh, of Adam and Eve and, and just the, the animals around. That, that's, that's not the stuff. This is not the stuff of fairy tales. This is real. This is real. And this passage answers for us many questions that society has Uh, Today, Um, we read this for stability. If we ignore this, we are ignoring reality and we're going to drift in and pretend with the world a different reality. Something that does not exist. And someday, folks, we're going to wake up and see the emperor has no clothes. We're going to wake up and say, and realize that we're drifting into reality that, that's just pretend really doesn't exist. So we come to this passage looking for reality on gender, marriage, and family, while the world is just seeking relativism. This passage is significant. It's significant. Last week we began to um, look at the first couple of points. In verses 18 to 20. This is, this is a problem. This passage is talking about a problem in paradise. A problem in paradise. And, and what we see here is that God points out the problem. It is not good that man should be alone. He is not to go into life in, with being alone or loneliness. So he, he gives us the problem. So we have the problem. Point number two, he illustrates that problem, and he does that by bringing the animals to Adam, uh, and he would label or name these animals, call them what their name is, but the point was taken when it says that there was no mate found suitable for him. No one found suitable. No one found for Adam and Eve, and at, or for Adam. And at that point, you can imagine the just the, the loneliness, the emptiness that that. Uh, God was pointing out in in Adam's life, and, and maybe it just realized, it dawned on Adam, I am alone here. And so God, of course, is leading up to the solutions. We see the problem. We see the problem illustrated and emphasized. And then we see now the problem solved. Now, I love this. Look at verse 21 and 22. It's solved by one thing, and that's a wife. Men, take note, right? (laughs) Young men without wives. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of the ribs, that's God, took one of the ribs, and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from man and brought her to the man. This is the first surgery. Now, note that this is God's action. The word so there. He doesn't leave Adam just to, to to wonder, well, what's going to happen to me? How in the world am I going to solve this problem for myself? No, God is a God of action. He takes action. So it, it says, so here's the problem. Here's the solution. And the word so there, so the Lord God caused. Here's the action. And the Lord God uh, gives an answer to this and, and creates the first surgery. Now, I love this. He could have just done this from the very beginning, but he he's making a point. He's driving a point home here, isn't he? And he cuts Adam open, falls. Adam falls into a deep sleep and he cuts Adam open, takes one of the ribs, closes that place up, gives us the details of these things. Doesn't use anesthesia. Now, I've had a surgery before. And you wake up out out of anesthesia and you man, you're just groggy. You have no idea what's going on, where you are. And uh, you know, when I came out of that surgery, it was the same day surgery, I was supposed to go home and I said, I'm begging to the nurses, can you just let me stay here? I'm still in a fog. I don't want to go anywhere. I just want to stay. You know, can you just let me sleep for a l- No, no, you gotta get up and push me out the door. I'm thinking, Oh man. God does surgery and He doesn't he doesn't Need anesthesia. Adam's probably not even sore. He closed up the place. He created Adam. He can smooth over that skin. Not even a a scar there. What was needed is that rib from Adam's side. And with that, verse 22, he created, he, he, he fashioned a woman. That was what was needed. He fashioned a woman. A female. Someone that Adam was going to depend upon. She was going to depend upon him. They were going to be brought together. Now, this is not a quick fix. This is, this is the answer. Not a knee-jerk reaction. This is the climax of, of God's creation here. And, and all eyes were, were on this new creation. Took him, took her from... His side, not from his foot, not from his head, but from his side. And it uh, it communicates to us a harmony, a closeness, an intimacy there. And we see that's exactly what it's supposed to communicate in Ephesians chapter 5 when Christ is describing his relationship to his church. But what I want you to notice in these two verses is it's just God's sovereignty. God tells Adam... Sleep, Adam sleeps. God God takes a, a rib out. He, he's in full control because he made Adam. He he has authority over Adam. He has ownership. He he is Adam was his creation and so he can do with Adam whatever he wants to do, right? We have animals at our house. Sometimes we have to give our cat a, a pill. Or maybe a shot and you have to hold that thing down. You have to wrestle with that thing to to get it to to get it to do what you want. Just to give my dog a bath. You have to wrestle that thing. Doesn't want to do that. That was no problem with with God. God was sovereign. He is in control. It says, Adam, sleep. Full control. Folks, God owns us by right of creation. He created us. We yield to His sovereignty. He is God. He is sovereign. We need to note that here. So that's God's action. Look at Adam's reaction here in verse 23. Just one verse. The man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man Adam's this is Adam's first words that is recorded for us and it's before the fall and it's kind of a snapshot now we've had weddings in our family just uh, the past couple of years this one right after the other and I'm I'm getting to understand these wedding pictures and these wedding pictures, there's, there's one particular wedding picture that's kind of new to me. We didn't have this back in the day, but it's that first glance, okay? It's, the, it's that glance when the uh, when the the man sees his bride for the first time in the wedding gown, okay? And it, traditionally it was supposed to be in, in on, you know, you don't see her on, until you, so she comes down the aisle and that kind of stuff. But it's hard to get a picture, and so you have to construct all this... And you have to get the perfect picture. And it's the first glance, the first look, right? And they want a picture of the guy's face when he sees his bride for the first time. They want to they capture that. And that's what's happened here. And what's interesting is, is it is in uh, poetic form. So what you'll see in your translation, most English translations, they want to notice that. And so it's in poetic form here. And... Um, and what Adam's response was, it was this, and, and it was written down, recorded here. And and it is this is now flesh of my flesh. This is now bone of my bone. He's connecting here. This is kinship. There's an attraction here. There's a connection here. Not like any of the other animals. Man, th- this is this is part of me. She she belongs to me a wonderful thing. And then he he calls her, he names her, he labels her. It implies authority, but it also implies responsibility over her there. And he says, this is woman, she'll be called woman. Isha is the Hebrew term. Okay. The word man is ish. The word woman is isha. And it's designed so that so that you would uh, you would realize it, that woman was taken out of man, and even we try to communicate that in the uh, English language as well that you have man and woman, and that's the idea. Ish means soft, soft. So you have male and female here, both, and not not a, another just a, another clone of Adam, not several Eves. One woman, one man, one male, one female, and you, and God defines marriage for us then. This is, this is what Christ was talking about. He made them male and female, and we build on that principle. That's what we, we see here. Now, I want to see also a little shock and awe. Because I think it's here. I think you see this in the text. Because it's poetic, right? He's capturing that moment, that, that, that view of Christ, God's, I'm sorry, that uh, God is bringing the bride to the man and, and he captures this face and, wow, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, right? He's capturing that. And I think there's some, there, there's the wow factor. This isn't just cold, emotionalist stuff. This is, this is poetry. Most of our songs are, are are about or they're probably love songs, just ushy gushy love songs, right? Uh, uh, this this man trying to express his love and his his desire for this woman and that, and that's kind of the idea here. Now I wonder what Adam's expectations were when God says, I'll make a helper suitable for him. So he might be thinking, "Yeah, a uh, helper. Yeah, I don't know what that means. I don't know exactly what that is. So, so God makes a helper. He creates a helper, Eve. But she is so much more than a helper. And God's, Adam sees her. And this is now bone. This is more than just a helper. What, what, is, what was Adam expecting? It was just a helper, but man, this is, this is a companion. This is a, a lover. This is there's some compassion there. He she completed him. She completed him. This is the first poetry that we see in Scripture, and it's just we conclude that God did a good job, right, men? He did a good job. That's what we're to conclude. There's a natural attraction there between the male and the female. There's a a, a natural love that you might say attraction between the sexes there. Now the attraction can be a bad thing when it's outside the context of marriage, but within the context of marriage, it's it's part of the glue that holds that marriage together. It's part that attraction holds each other. It's attraction. And it and it holds them together. Now this is where this is where we get a little nervous. Because today what we, we see today is same-sex attraction. And I'm telling you, if you're trying to raise children, that scares me. As a father, that scared me. Same-sex attraction. And I'm thinking, oh my, we have to be so careful with our kids. And you begin to worry. Am I going to mess up my kids? And answers the question you know we ask the question, is my son what what do I do if my son's attracted to another male or my daughter's attracted to a female some of it it's just age stuff, sometimes they'll just grow out of that mature into that and kind of nature takes it core its course. But folks, what we're fighting today is a culture that's not only just existing and and, and believing these things, they're promoting same-sex attraction. They're teaching same-sex attraction in the schools. And we have to be so careful. There's even multiple genders. This whole idea. You say, how in the world did that get into the church? And I think it, it has. To some degree, I think Christians in the past twenty, thirty years have, have been caught up with the culture and fighting against tradition, and and now we find ourselves fighting against the truth. And people say, "Oh, well, that's just tradition." No, it's not just tradition. There's male and there's female. That's not just tradition. And we fight against the truth, and is it, or we fight within the church. Oh, this is just freedom of expression. I can just I can do whatever I I can do whatever I want and and it's like no there, there's that's not the way it is and this is the way I believe that's crept into the church. But the 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 thing is is we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid for our children. Now, now there's caution out there. Um, we we don't need to be afraid of messing up our children because we are trying to teach truth. And it corresponds, and here 's where the reality is. it corresponds with reality, and that 's what we need bringing the truth together. This is what god says here 's the reality we bring those two bring those two together and The real fear for me now that, that just in thinking, uh, the real fear is sending our kids out into the world, and the world redefining their experience that they had while they were at home. And they label our children as victims of Christianity. <laughs> here's, what, here's what your dad uh, has created you to be. You're a victim. You, you shouldn't have to do that. You shouldn't have to feel this way. You shouldn't be limited in that. And so the redefining and the, the fitting into a, a cultural paradigm. And that's kind of what we see today. How do we fight against that? What do we do? Well, in Scripture, we just teach, right? We, we teach them. We teach our children, our males and our females, our sons and our daughters, that life is not about them. Life is about God, right? He is the center of the universe. We emphasize the, the reality of life, not just a pretend culture. We don't go, go with the flow of, of culture we emphasize reality. Here's what God says about things. Here's the way we see the, Here's the way things really are. And you pull those two together. And then we just provide a good example. Provide a good example within the home of, of maleness and femaleness. Just being together. Just, just the son hanging out with the father and the daughter. Hanging out with the mother and the daughter. Hanging out with the... Dad and the the son hanging out with the the mother. It, it's going to produce. It's going to create the way things is supposed to create. Okay, that still doesn't make it easy, but but we provide a, a good example, both genders, and, and then we make sure that our children are not living or make sure they're living in that reality. Strong, strength as a female and grace as a female, strength as a male, and grace as a male. They're going to look a little bit different, the same characteristics. We want strong women, but we want also gentle men as well. We want strong men, we have to have that, and we want gentle women. We have to have that. They're going to look a little bit different. We provide an example, we provide an example. We don't live in the fantasy world out there. And so you have, well, there's cultural mannerisms. And sometimes I believe we we overemphasize those things, these cultural mannerisms, these cultural attitudes and things. And and we try to force our males to, to be the John Wayne, force our females to... To be whatever example you want them to be. Or to kind of force these stereotypes. These, these extreme stereotypes that we see in culture today. And what we need to do is allow them to, to grow into biblical manhood. Biblical womanhood. We go to scripture and, and see the gentleness of Christ. And see the strength of Christ. We see the, the gentleness of that proverbs thirty one one but we also see the strength of that proverbs thirty they 're going to look a little bit different, but they 're both there, and we have to have have to have both just playing a different role the world 's not going to see it that way the world 's going to make it extreme stereotypes, and they 're going to force them into some mold that is not facing reality. so the problem man shall not live alone. the illustration is is uh, Here's what it's going to be like, Adam. And then you have the solution. God comes in and that's a helper suitable for him. Man cannot improve on that. That's marriage. God establishes marriage. He defines it. It's his standard. Man has no right to mess it up. So we have to know this and we have to stand in our society. And it's, and it's probably not going to be in the legislation that these things are overturned and that kind of thing. It's probably just going to be common sense and Christians permeating society and saying, hey, look at this. Here's the way it should be. And we point out these things because it's probably easy just to point out the lunacy of this of this world. Okay, so you have the the problem. You have the illustration. You have the problem solved. But there's one extra step here that I want you to see and you bear with me. The problem principalized. You say, well, that's not a word. Well, you're probably right. I probably just made that up. But there's a principle here. Look at verse 30, 24. Look at verse 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. Okay, let's stop right there. Those first few words. For this reason. Moses is writing this probably 1,500, 2,000 years later after the fact. For this reason. He made them like this. This is what Adam said. This was Adam's reaction. And now, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother. For this reason, marriage. It's based upon, just like I was saying that Christ used it, it's based upon the, the reality of that what Christ made back on day six of creation. For this reason. That's where we live, folks. We live based upon the principles of things that happened a long time ago, that God created man and wife. And so we do those things for this reason. We have a reason for doing those things. The world has no reason. They're just making it up as they go along. And we stand and we say, no, for this reason, a man, and here's the principles, a man leaves his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and the wife were both naked and unashamed. Now there's four quick principles here. The the leaving, right? That, that, that son, that daughter has to leave. Not just physically leave, but emotionally. And, and the idea here is, is that the, uh, the obligation for that young man is no longer so much... To the family, it is to the wife. And that is predominant. That wife dominates his wife. And and he her, his focus is upon her. So they, there's some leaving that has to take place. Not just physical, but psychological and emotional leaving. There's some leaving that has to take place. Number two, there's cleaving, right? We know those terms. Leaving and cleaving. And the word is just be joined to. The language there is is actually covenantal language. We're never more like God than when we're a covenantal God. This is glue. This is glue. They're they're glued together, being joined together. This is a a newly established relationship. When our children get married, we buy them a clock. Then on that clock, there's a plaque and it says established on this date put their names, and establish on this date. There's a new entity into society. We've kicked them out of the house, and now there's a, a new Lego block to build society with. That's the idea. Now what do you have to have for that? You have to have maturity. They have to be able to stand. There has to be conviction. We have to prepare them to get out there and then be able to stand on their own in society and be able to take the the storms the winds and then there's one flesh this is this is not just the physical relationship sexual intercourse but it is a major part of that the text highly emphasizes the the oneness oneness and that oneness is to be pursued in marriage they're they're different but we pursue the oneness The, the union, the intimacy, the, the togetherness. This is a, this is unity. I see so many marriages that they seem to be competing against each other instead of being unified together. And the idea here, if you're, if you're focused on each other, you're competing against each other, you're, the problem is the other person. But in reality, what what you see here in Scripture is that the problem is out there in the world. There's unity here. There's unity within the in the couple. And, and the problem is out there. So it's it's Adam and Eve versus the world. And they have to survive. There has to be there has to be a gluing together, a, a union together, and and then they go out and they compete against the world for world for the resources of the world that 's the idea when you find yourself competing in marriage, when you find yourself pursuing differences, there should be red flags, red flags to go up you 're together the problem is. Is not each other. The problem is the world. And you come together and fight against this world. If you want to erode the society, folks, just begin to erode the marriage in society. And you'll destroy society. There's one other element here. And this is purity in verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Uh, They're not ashamed. Now, this is not a promotion for... Nudity, right? <laughs> Some people take it that way. They say, "Oh, wow! See, in the back in the garden, we can we can go around naked." And there's there's tribes in, in uh, that I've been to. There's no clothes, and and so, but we know it's not like that now. The garden, everything was pure. There was nothing with inside Adam and Eve that would cause them to, to have lustful thoughts and sinful desires and potential evil and twisting of, of thoughts and desires and things and cravings. There is there nothing within them. There's a purity, and that's what it's communicating here. After the fall, we see something else. And the gospel comes into our life, and we begin to realize, hey, I need to... There has to be modesty in my dress. And we we can't just go along. We can't just uh, uh, promote sin in other people's lives. So there has to be a, a, a modesty. Now, so you have that. That purity within marriage. There was nothing within them. Just pure. Wonderful. Folks, there's not not a place in our life that hasn't been tainted by the results of sin in our life. We need to keep that in mind. I have to remind us that they found gratitude within each other. There was a union there and the satisfaction within each other. So you have the problem, you have the illustration, you have the solution, and then you have that problem principalized. Now, there's something that we need to understand. I want to take it one step further, just real quick. Because the world has a different view than us. So I want to begin to apply this. How do we think about the world? How do we, how do we handle the world? The world wants us to join them. Satan knows that, that especially here in America, we're tied to this word. And so what you find today is that the world is dismantling Christianity one verse at a time. And what we see then, we just dismantle this one little verse. And dismantle this thought about homosexuality. Dismantle gender. And detach it from the Word of God. And then anything goes. And the world is wanting to detach us. So, if you want to be a man, if you are a man, and you dress up like a woman, put a dress on. You you uh, get injections of steroids and, and um, estrogen into your body. Divest yourself of any kind of testosterone that might be there. You are still a man. You can pretend all you want to, but you're fighting against nature. You're fighting against what God sees. When you're doing that, you're going into so insanity. Folks, that's where our society is going today. And in Romans chapter 1, we see that that's called God giving them over to a depraved mind. So how do we deal with this? How do we deal with this? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul gives us a a kind of some answers here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, let me read this real quick. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. Not walking in craftiness or adulterating the Word of God. Now, let's just stop right there. Paul says, we, we, cannot, we cannot go back to where we were in walking in this sinfulness and adulterating the Word of changing the Word of God to fit our, our world view. But, by the manifestation of truth, that's what we hang on to. The manifestation of truth. Commending ourselves to every man, can. Uh, every man's conscience in the sight of God that even if the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, to those who, in, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they may not see the light of the gospel. We continue to proclaim the gospel. They may not see it. We continue to stand for righteousness. But that's what we do. Now, Go over to chapter ten, Second Corinthians chapter ten. What what weapons do we have? For through for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful. What weapons are those? That's well, the gospel. But it for the destruction of fortresses. That's ideologies. And and folks, that's what we see in the world. We see ideologies galore out there. Fortresses. These these pretend things that the world is is putting up. And and we come in with the gospel. We come in with the truth of the word of God. and, And destroy those things. And we are destroying speculation. And every lofty thing that rises up against the knowledge of God. Speculation lofty thoughts against God. And we are taking captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's what we do. That's what we do. That's In society, that's what we're doing. We have the weapon for that. We have truth. We have righteousness. We go in and we present that. The world does not want that. The world wants us to join them in speculation. In superstition. And to stay in vain imaginations, in lofty thoughts against God. They want us to stay in, in blindness from the father of lies. They want us to stay under the influence of doctrines of demons. They want us to, they want us to escape from reality with alcohol and drugs. They want us to live under the influence of false ideas. They want us to live in that fog. Just don't think about it. Just, just follow the crowd. Folks, that is so dangerous. We now are exposed to the truth. We have the truth. We stand. We pre- present the light of truth onto the reality, the scene here. Here's what God thinks about things. And this is offensive to God. It's our very life. It's the gospel that we proclaim and we stand in order to live out clearly the truth of the Word of God. Now, the world is rejecting God, and in doing so, they reject the Word of God, right? They don't want to hear the Word of God. That brings truth. They're rebelling against God. They're rebelling against God's truth. They're rebelling against God's reality, the rebelling against God's creation is even what they know to be true. They're suppressing that. And here we are. We're building our lives upon the rock of the Word of God. We're building our reality based upon this Word. And sometimes we have to go back and say, Have you not read? This is the reality. Here's what we're trying to do. Now, the question for us today is, do you believe this? That's the reality. Do you really believe it? Will you take a stand and say, no, I believe in the Word of God no matter what science tries to prove. We stand. We stand. These are not just fairy tales. This is the truth of the Word of God. This is reality. Man will try to create a a better society, but if the further they get from the Word of God, they're gonna mess up society. That's just the way it, that's the way it is. And the reality is for, for me, for us, I am so glad that the Lord has allowed me to believe this Word. I'm so glad that the Lord has shown the truth into my heart and, and worked in my heart that I just believe. I might have to go against science. I might have to go against the world. I don't care. Yesterday I saw a picture, and I thought it was just a great picture. I posted it on Facebook. And You've got one man. He's just kind of a knight. He has one sword, and he's against a host of, of army, this whole army, and they've got swords, and they're riding horses, and he's just standing. Folks, that's the way we are. We're just standing. Standing squarely upon the Word of God And we will not be shaken. This is what the Word of God says. No matter what science says, no matter what they try to prove, we will stand on the Word of God. And that's where we are today. That's where we are. We're gracious, but the reality is God has spoken. And that's truth. That's reality. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, bless our time. As we go into this communion time, We pray Lord, that that you would be honored, but Lord, as we deal with this passage, help us help this to sink deep within us, that it would be conviction and not just not just fairy tale stuff, not just a nice story, but we say, for this reason, we build our life for this reason, because what was done on day six means something. Lord, help us to be able to stand. Help our children to be able to stand with convictions based upon this word. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.